Before we start the show, if you want more stock talking, check out my newsletter at tinyletter.com slash bbrostoff or visit postcoronastocks.com. You can find me on Twitter at at BMB21. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Stock Talking, an exploration of financial markets in the context of the post-corona world. COVID-19 has changed the way we value equity, debt, and business as a whole. My goal is to find great companies who can thrive in the new normal. I can't wait to get started. All right, welcome to another episode of Stock Talking. It is Saturday, May 1st, S&P at 4,181, and Berkshire Hathaway's annual meeting is today. So figure it is no better time to talk about buybacks than right now, uh, specifically what Apple is doing with buybacks. So we'll get right into it. So for those who don't remember Berkshire's letter from this year, they do talk about buybacks for a good portion of that letter. Uh, Let me read the relevant thing because I think it's pretty illustrative. So this is from the 2020 letter on page six. Berkshire's investment in Apple vividly illustrates the power of repurchases. Um, And then it goes on. When we finished our purchases in mid-2018, Berkshire's general account owned 5.2% of Apple. Our cost for that stake was $36 billion. Since then, we have both enjoyed regular dividends, averaging about $775 million annually, and have also, in 2020, pocketed an additional $11 billion by selling a small portion of our position. So they've actually sold a bit of Apple. Despite that sale, voila, Berkshire now owns 5.4% of Apple, so 20 bips more uh, than they did before. That increase, and now I'm reading from the letter again, was costless to us. Coming about because Apple has continually repurchased its shares, thereby substantially shrinking the number it now has outstanding. And I want to give some context into that because the last eight years of being an Apple shareholder have been pretty spectacular from a buyback perspective. So let's start in 2013 when Apple had about 26 million shares outstanding. And if you go to the end of the second quarter of this year, so when they just reported, they reported April 28th, so that's the quarter ending March 31st. Um, They now have 16.9 million shares outstanding. So I'm going to read year over year over time the decrease. So starting from 2013 to 14, that's a 6% decrease, 14 to 15, 5% decrease. I'll keep going. 5%, 4.5%, 4.8%, 7% from 18 to 19, 5.7%. And then two quarters of this year, so half a year, we're looking at 3.4%. So a a pretty incredible uh, buyback of the float each year i mean if you look at that as a a yield um you know that's each year buying back five-ish percent of the stock you know there's a lot of high yield investors uh, so investors who look for uh, returns through bonds who would love to have that return Uh, if you look at that as a dividend yield that's a high dividend stock and there's a lot of reasons uh buybacks are preferable to dividends right like buybacks you don't get taxed on it uh, buybacks, you can do it opportunistically. So you can look for times when the stock is below intrinsic value. Um, and that's what exactly what Berkshire Hathaway does. Uh, you don't have to commit to it. So if you commit to a 10% dividend yield, you have to pay that out of free cash flow every single year. Um, buybacks, you can kind of uh, wait and you can suspend the buyback program anytime you want. There's not necessarily an expectation. Uh, the stock probably won't get dinged if you decide not to do buybacks for whatever reason. So Apple's going to do these in the future this quarter. Again, April 28th was the release date um, when they put this out. So Wednesday of this week, uh, they said they're going to increase the share buyback program to $90 billion. So they're authorized to do that amount um, in share repurchases. So Apple on a pretty amazing streak of buybacks. So if you're a company and you produce cash, there's only a couple things you can do with it. 
Um, you can spend it on CapEx. Um, you can pay down debt. You could increase the dividends, or you could keep it in cash, or you could do share buybacks. Um, so let's let's run through some of these options and go through process of elimination of why Apple probably wouldn't do them. So on the CapEx front, you know, Apple certainly has some projects going on. Apple Car is a thing people talk a lot about. Uh, the new M1 chip, they have factories for that. But even with all that, they really don't spend too much in CapEx. So let's go through the last three years of cash generated by operating activities versus um, CapEx, which I'm defining as payments of for acquisition of property, plant, and equipment, if you're looking at the last 10K. So in the last 10K, 2018, $77 billion in cash generated by operating activities, $13 billion in CapEx. Next year, 2019, $69 billion in cash uh, generated by operating activities, uh, $10 billion in CapEx. And finally, last year, $81 billion in cash generated by operating activities, $7 billion in PP&E, uh, payments for PP&E or CapEx. So clearly, Apple is pretty CapEx light. It generates a ton of cash. Uh, it doesn't seem like anytime soon they have enough needs on the CapEx front that they would use all the cash for that. Debt side, everybody knows Apple has a ton of cash. I think it's $200 billion right now, or thereabouts, um, as of the end of the second quarter. Long-term debt, they have a, they only have $100 billion, um, and it's a pretty low interest rate, so I don't think there's any need to try to pay that off, and they could pay the whole thing off in cash if they needed to. Dividends, I mean, Apple did increase their dividend 7% this last quarter. They've been doing that, but you know, for the reasons I cited earlier, buybacks are preferable to, to dividends, so as a shareholder, I'd always want buybacks. Um, or they could keep it in cash, right? And you know, interest rates are zero, so I don't really see much advantage to that. Um, but let's talk a little bit more about buybacks because I do think it probably is Apple's best choice right now. One more quick thought on the capex front: so capex might make sense as a decision if they can return more on the capex than they would on buying back their own shares. So if they can find a really new profitable business line um, that returns, you know, eighty percent on invested capital or something absurd. That may be a better choice than, than buybacks. I don't know any businesses like that now that Apple could just uh, get in and, and do great on. They could also acquire a company. But again, Apple already is an exceptional company. It's hard to find many companies that would be accretive to them. I mean, I know they trade at 35 times earnings, um, but it's like, could Apple buy that company, um, get synergies, and then get a benefit on earnings that is accretive? So back to the question of why buybacks. I, I was posing this question um, to Diligent Dollar, who was on the podcast a week or so ago, and he sent me this article I highly recommend. I'll link in the show notes. Um, it's on the Saber Capital Management blog, uh, which is by John Huber. But this is a guest post uh, from Connor Leonard, um, who has actually written a two-part series here. Um, they're basically on companies that have moats, so you know competitive uh, advantages where you know it's so big you could think of almost a moat around a castle. Um, but he's writing in part two of this, again, which I'll link, about a concept he calls capital light uh, compounders. So Connor in this post defines a capital light compounder as, quote, uh, companies that can grow revenue and earnings without requiring additional capital. So at this point, and, and you saw when I was quoting the CapEx numbers, Apple requires very little capital to grow. They clearly have pricing power. I mean, look at what you can price the iPhone for and people will go out to buy it. Um, so they definitely fall under this uh, banner of you know capital light compounders. So let me read you a little bit more from this article about why share repurchases make sense for a capital light compounder. 
So again, Connor writes, instead of acquiring a new business and the risk associated with that strategy, the management should instead direct M&A funds towards acquiring more of the exceptional business the shareholders already own. So in this hypothetical example, imagine a company that can increase earnings power at 10% per year, um, where they would return uh, 10% to an owner if the valuation multiples were held constant. Uh, Connor writes, however, in the case additional capital was not required to grow, instead 100% of earnings power was available for ongoing share repurchases, so therefore the IRR of the investment is about 18%. And he does provide some really good calculations here. And you can check them all out in the post, but what's going on basically is he describes this company that's trading at 15 times earnings, um, grows earnings by 10% per year. So the reach purchase capacity goes up from 1,000 to 1,100, um, all the way to 2,594, uh, about 10 years out. So what you can see here basically is the share repurchases keep coming and the ending share is outstanding keep going down and there's no capex required um, at all for this business so not quite apple but pretty similar you know apple doesn't run on much capex um, so you can see here basically the the earnings of the company keep going up so 1000 times 15 is 15000 initially on the intrinsic value of the company next year 1100 times 15 16500 2018 1210 times 15 18150 multiple staying constant intrinsic value increasing at the same time um, the company's producing cash, so they're able to use the retained earnings to repurchase shares. So the share count's going down, in this case, 33 to 31 to 29, all the way down to 17 in the final year. So intrinsic value of the company growing, uh, more earnings, and also shares going down. Um, so instead of just a straight up 10% return, you are getting uh, close to 18% when all is said and done because that share count is continuing to go down and because earnings are growing with no capex. This is only possible through competitive mode, so that's an important thing to remember. Uh, a, a simple thing you could think of here is Apple decides to do nothing um, and just increases prices by 10% every year. It's a little unrealistic because they do have competitors, but um, you know, I think with great businesses that do make improvements, and Apple definitely makes those improvements on the technology side, um, you, it really is capable of, of having that pricing power and increasing it year to year. So I think the, thing, the, the TLDR here is if you can find a business that spends very little on CapEx, um, has great pricing power, has a huge competitive moat around their product, and has management that really cares about repurchases being made and, and decreasing that share count, um, you can get stuff where even if the multiple looks a little high, um, you can still generate returns with no multiple expansion. So that's why I think uh, you know ultimately Apple's still a really nice buy here. Um, I really like what Tim Cook does with the with the repurchase activity, um, and I think that's going to continue on for a number of years to come. And I, and I don't see any challenges to Apple's competitive moat, at least as of now. I mean, we could certainly could get into the anti-competitive stuff with the App Store, um, but you know people have been talking about big tech and uh, monopoly. Uh, challenges coming and you know ultimately I think you just have to invest and, let, and unless you're a legal expert um, it's very difficult to gauge that risk so continue to be a big fan of Apple stock I will not be selling anytime soon um, even at 35 times earnings uh, which I think will go down by the way I mean they grew earnings a ton this year and they're gonna grow a lot in future years so multiple doesn't scare me really like the repurchases and I think Apple's just a good example of a capital light compounder um, that's doing a lot of great things for shareholders with the repurchases some quick final notes on why I think Apple remains a buy here. They also increased the dividend 7% this last year. So if you look at a 7% dividend yield plus a 5 to 7% buyback, 
of the float, you're looking at you know 12 to 14 percent uh, shareholder return, which is really nice. Again, double digit yield, you're going to be making your money back uh, in less than 10 years if they keep that up. Also, you know, 35 times earnings right now, but Apple's growing their earnings by at least five percent, and probably more than that. But conservatively, let's assume five percent. They keep doing that for 10 years. They keep buying back five percent of the float. And year 10 here, you're going to be trading at about 13 times earnings. I think Apple will beat that five percent. I think the buybacks might be more aggressive. So in my base case. Um, Leaves a good amount of room uh, for a nice floor on the stock if you are looking 10 years ahead. And I think the bull case is even better. So overall, really excited about the stock. And I think it continues to be a buy until further notice. Thanks for listening. To hear more episodes of Stock Talk, you can read a blog with my latest trade recommendations, market commentary, and more. Visit postcoronastocks.com.